Stress, anxiety, and depression are skyrocketing among children and teens. And Cook Children's Healthcare System is on a mission to bring these topics into the light. I'm Winnie King. And I'm Dr. Kristen Perch. If you have kiddos in the room, now is the time to put on those headphones. Some of the topics we'll be discussing will not be suited for young ears. This is Raising Joy. Hello, everyone. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us again on Raising Joy, the the podcast that tells you a lot of stuff about mental health. We're so happy to be here today. Today's kind of special, Kristen, because we're joined uh, by two guests who probably don't realize it, but they actually helped to start the um, Joy campaign at Cook Children's. Um, they were kind of the foundation that helped us launch um, the campaign that began and then just took off and we didn't have any clue it was going to be so big. Um, But the Jordan Elizabeth Harris Foundation, um, we met, our team met um, Tom and Ellen some time ago and they helped us to understand and talk about suicide and the way that is compassionate and raises awareness about this issue. And again, we just want to say thank you because you really did give us a launching pad um, for what we're doing now. And um, I know you guys have been doing some incredible work um, in the Fort Worth area, and we're so grateful for that. But, um, you know, you've done a lot for Cook Children's. I bet you mm-hmm. don't even realize you did. But <laughs> Absolutely. I, I totally agree. And as a psychiatrist in Fort Worth, I've heard about your organization numerous times, whether it be through like social media posts or, you know, internet articles or just knowing the resources and things that you guys provide. And so um, to meet you in person today and to be able to say thank you in person um, is a real joy for me. So I am just so honored um, to have Tom and Ellen Harris here today in the studio with us. And um, I'm ready to talk about the tremendous work that you guys do in our community. Yeah. Tell us how you got started actually with the foundation, because I know that there may be a lot of people who don't realize how that came to be. Could you just kind of give us a little bit about that? Uh, we lost our daughter, Jordan, in uh, twenty March of 2012. In fact, we just um, celebrated the 10th anniversary of her death. So forgive me if I'm no, we're good. Um, a little yeah, emotional. Um, and... It, it was so strange. We we had not dealt with any depression in our family before, and we didn't, at least at the time, we didn't know of friends who were dealing with depression until we started sharing our story about what happened with Jordan. And it, it was almost as if, you know, most of the people that we talked to had a story to share back to mm-hmm. us about Either they had been dealing with depression their whole lives or they had lost somebody to suicide or they had had suicidal ideation or whatever it was. And and we just felt this need to to share what had happened to us with other people. And and because we'd been in the community for a long time and um we had a huge amount of support. We were able to start our foundation. And um, the first fundraising luncheon that we had, we had 700 people there. Wow. Well, that's a lot. Which just goes to show how many people have been touched by right. by suicide and depression. And, um, and there's just such a stigma attached to it that 
we didn't have any idea. Well, and I think about just how different the landscape has changed since, you know, thinking about from 2012 to 2022. And, you know, I, you guys were trailblazers in breaking down that stigma. And like as a psychiatrist mm -hmm. from the bottom of my heart, thank you. I know the trail was not easy and, but really thank you for just, thank you. That's, that's all I can say. Tom, tell us about Jordan. Jordan was a rock star. Yeah. <laughs> um, Spoken like a true dad. I yeah. love it. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm not biased, right? Uh, <laughs> she was a uh, valedictorian of her high school class, an athlete, beautiful young lady, and really someone who wanted to change the world. So she was always involved in some nonprofit effort um, during high school and, and in college. Um, she worked for the Battered, Battered Women's Organization in Boston one summer. She worked for a, a Ghana relief effort mm. in the University of Michigan when she went, was in school, which was a, an effort by students at University of Michigan to gather up surplus medical supplies and then put them in a container and take them to Ghana and wow. take them to the small villages in Ghana, which she was a part of. Mm. Uh, just a young lady who kind of lit up the room when she walked, walked into it. Um, so a special kid. Um, which made it even harder, right? So when you lose somebody like that, you say, what the heck? Um, you know, how, how can something like that happen? Uh, you know, she got sick of her uh, fall semester of her senior year, um, came home for Christmas, went back to school. A couple weeks later, we got a call from University of Michigan Hospital that she wasn't doing well. We brought her home, and she was seeing a psychiatrist and, and, and on medication, thought she was doing well. Working at Catholic Charities, volunteering. Again. Uh, yeah, again. And then come home one night. Um, so it was tough. It was tough. So the foundation really is um, Ellen's and mine effort, our family's effort, to help others. Mm, yeah. So the foundation currently has programs in, in many of our schools in Fort Worth and Tarrant County that are suicide prevention programs. We offer suicide prevention education and training to the adult population, to corporate America. Um, currently have five full-time staff people led by an executive director. So it's it's done multiples more than I ever thought, we ever thought it would do in the community. It fit, really filled the void in the Fort Worth and Tarrant County community. I totally uh, agree. Ellen mentioned that once earlier. I, I mean, you know, all of a sudden there's 750 people in the audience. Like, do we have enough chairs? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and, and just to repeat another thing that Ellen said, we, we tell people our story all the time and we always get a story back. Mm -hmm. So I'm at lunch today. You know, there's a lunch at uh, ACH child and family services, uh, sharing the story with, with a, with a lady at lunch and Oh, well, I had, my sister, who unfortunately lost. So family, you know, mother, father, brother, sister, friend, cousin, nephew, there's always something going on where, where for many years we wouldn't talk about it. Mm. So that stigma of, of mental illness um, still out there today. But to your point earlier, Kristen, I think we are talking more about it today. And I think that's really, really important. Mental illness and all the things that fall under that umbrella our, our sicknesses, disease, whatever you want to call it, just like having a broken bone or having cancer or, or whatever. 
and and the only way that we get better um, and we help people get better is to let them know that it's okay to talk about it. You know, the Joy Campaign started because the rate of um, attempted suicide was so incredibly high mm-hmm. during the pandemic. And when we saw the numbers, it was, it was astonishing. Yeah. And, and, and it, it just really does say, wait a minute, what's happening here? There's a problem and we need to, we need to look at it. And, and again, we, we started with thinking about doing just a couple, six or seven articles about suicide and what to look for and what, you know, what, what to say, what to not say, all of that kind of thing. And then to your point, it blew up, Mm -hmm. it blew up and, and we were shocked. And so again, we, we got so much guidance and so much direction and so much inspiration from you guys um, to try, you know, to try to join you on this journey of, of, of filling the void. Um, and it's just, um, but I'm proud that we are trying to do just that mm-hmm. at a time when it, this is ooh, so, so needed. Looking back, would you have said, I missed it? Did you see something was there anything that you, if we had just done X, is that, is that, is that awful to ask? No, it's not awful to ask. I probably asked myself that question a hundred million times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we didn't know how serious her depression was because she did such a good job of hiding, hiding it. it. Yes, she did. And there goes that stigma again. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember we were at my sister-in-law and brother-in-law's house for, it must have been Thanksgiving, I guess, the year um, before she died. And my brother-in-law said, she's the happiest depressed person I ever met. He meant no, no. disrespect, I know. but she, n- nobody knew the extent to which she was suffering. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I've now come to accept that I did everything I knew at the time. But looking back now, of course, now that I understand what kind of signs to look for when somebody is really struggling, would I have done things differently? Of course, but I, that, I didn't have that information. And I bet she made a real concerted effort to hide through work and donations and whatever it was to try to hide that and maybe even try to feel mm-hmm. better. I don't even know. I'm not and, a psychiatrist. And also kind of hide it from herself. Like yeah. it's hard to acknowledge like how hard, like whenever life is that hard, like it's yeah. hard to be honest. And, and you're used to being so successful. I think it's really hard to and, just and, say I'm having a hard time. And there must yeah. be some guilt in that because, you know, I have such a great life. What do I have to be depressed about? Why? And I know that you provided a great life for her. And I, I I'm sure she looked, you know, was like, well, what's the problem? What's What's and you know, Kristen, forgive me for interrupting. No. Um, that's an interesting point that you brought up because I, I think sometimes Jordan worked hard to get what she had, but mm-hmm. she also didn't struggle a lot. <laughs> Things tended to come easy for her. Yeah. I mean, she never even had pimples on her face, you know? I mean, she just, she she glided through middle school and high school without lots of trauma and and i wonder if 
maybe her her ability to come back from challenges maybe wasn't as defined as somebody who'd had to struggle through things mm -hmm. in her life. And maybe the outcome would have been differently if she, you know, if she had gone through a terrible breakup that just, whatever it was, you know, right. some kind of, and believe me, I understand that there are traumas that are much, much yeah. worse than, yeah. so I, I don't breakup, need, yeah. yeah, I get it, I but, get it. But still something that was challenging in, in her life that she wasn't able to to um, to succeed at because mm -hmm. she really did succeed at most of the things that she tried and so I wonder mm -hmm. about that sometimes because I think resilience is really an important factor. Not everybody who suffers from suffers from depression takes their life or tries to take their life. So what is the difference mm -hmm. and why why do some people succumb to that feeling of hopelessness where they just feel like there's no possible way that they can survive the pain that they're in. And I think as a, a parent to a young adult, you guys probably, it's it's such a hard time developmentally because you want to support them in becoming an adult and to be independent. But at the same time, you're their parent and you know more about life than they care to acknowledge and you want to look out for them. So I think trying to like walk that really delicate balance without overstepping is really hard. And it's, it sounds like you guys were out of state whenever that was happening. Like if, if a if a young, if a parent had a young adult or like a late teen that was struggling, how, how would, if they were really worried about them, what would you guys recommend that they do? You mean if they were worried about their mental health mm -hmm. uh -huh. for their, for their like young adult late teen? Well, I, I, um, feel very strongly that therapy is without question the first, the first thing to do. And that's exactly what we did with our, both our two younger children were both at the University of Texas at the time that Jordan died. Mm -hmm. And as soon as they got back to school, we, we were so blessed to find the most amazing therapist in Austin. And they both started seeing her at the same time. Mm -hmm. And they went a couple of times a week initially for the first month or so together. And then um, separately and in fact, um, my daughter and I, I'm sure she wouldn't mind me saying, still periodically speaks with the same therapist, you know, every month or so. Mm -hmm. um, she had that much of an impact in her life. And so I feel very strongly that that therapy is the way to go initially. Um, and then if if they find the need for medication after that, then then absolutely. But mm -hmm. um don't put it off would be my my mm -hmm. suggestion if there's any kind of behavior that's out of the ordinary and even if they are a teenager and you're not really you know they have teenage behaviors if there's something out of the ordinary all of a sudden they're just much more isolated than they were before or they're not finding joy in the things that they found joy in before something's wrong you know your child mm -hmm. um i i think Neither Tom nor I ever considered the fact that Jordan might think about suicide. Yeah. She loved life and she was surrounded by people that loved her, not just us, yeah. but her friends. And um, it was just completely off our radar. So you just you just never Don't, know. Yeah. And you should never be afraid to ask that question. Right. How many times have we seen so many people or celebrities and we've heard in the news they took their life and you're saying, oh, my gosh, but how could 
that be? Right. No different than this. Right. How could that be? How do you get to the point of, I can't do it anymore. I just can't do it anymore. I think uh, they're, they're not thinking rationally. And I think we as rational thinkers can't even have a glimpse of the depth of the pain and hopelessness that they must be in when they reach that point, because we've never been there and we've never experienced. I, I, I can't, it breaks my heart to think that she was in that kind of pain. And I think I th we talk about like with younger kids about um, kind of like depression goggles. Like whenever you're, you're depressed, you focus on everything that's negative and you just negate everything that could be right or could be hopeful. And you lose hope because you're like, well, this is never going to get better. I'm never going to feel better. Why would I want to go on like this? Mm -hmm. um, so I hear that a lot. Tom, really tell hard. us, tell us about the, the, the Jordan Elizabeth Harris foundation and why you decided even to start the organization. I mean, I'm, I'm feeling the pain even now, 10 years later, I, I, I feel, I feel with you, mm -hmm. but why start a foundation? So, I think everybody's different when they handle grief. Um, there's a thousand different ways of, of dealing with it, some good, some bad. Um, coincidentally, uh, we lost our first child to SIDS uh, at three and a half months. Oh, my gosh. In 1988. And when we lost Seth, um, I got very involved in a national organization, which at the time was called the National SIDS Alliance. Mm-hmm. And now is referred to as First Candle. They changed their name. I got very involved in that organization. It was a way that the way that I handled losing Seth, got engaged in the national organization. We had a chapter in Fort Worth over on Sylvania Street uh, to support families who had lost babies uh, to either SIDS or other infant death. Did that for 20 years. Had a big fundraiser. We raised a lot of money for the organization. Mm -hmm. uh, raised a lot of money for research. And candidly, at the end of that, after 20 years, I said, I'm done. Tired. I've done enough. <laughs> yeah. I've done enough. I don't need to do, I, mm -hmm. I don't want to do anymore. And, and we backed away from it. And it wasn't too long after that we lost Jordan. And I said, are you? Yeah, so God said, no, you you're not. <laughs> are you kidding? <laughs> yeah, I know. So for whatever reason, you know, God decided that this was our journey. And, um, you know, I, I have a, a Mr. Fix-It attitude. Uh, I always have um, probably got that from my dad, who was a World War II vet and mm -hmm. had his own business for 45 years and mm -hmm. started that business in the basement of our house with 200 bucks in his pocket mm -hmm. and had it for 45 years and put four kids through college. Wow. So, um, look, I, it, it, it is therapeutic. No question about it uh, for me. I'm not so sure about Ellen because Ellen does all the heavy, heavy lifting <laughs> on course. the foundation side. I will say that. Um, but um, it was important to us to not let her have died in vain. And, and she, would, she would want us to do this. Long-winded answer to your question. No, no, it's the right answer. Yeah. But it's so it's so eloquent, and just I I think it just you know Tom, you said that at the beginning we we asked you about Jordan, and you said that she was a rock star, but the reason she was a rock star is because she saw what you guys did, and she saw your compassion, and she saw you turn pain of losing 
a three-month-old into um, something positive. And so I think that she was a truly exceptional human being because you guys are both mm-hmm. exceptional human beings. Might have, might have been a double-edged sword uh, when you think about <laughs> it, right? And I, I, don't, I don't want to go there, but it's true. She, um, uh, she set very high expectations for herself mm. and, and we're probably at least part to blame for that. Um, but she, she had big ideas and, and wanted to do big things. And all of a sudden the, the chemicals in her brain went south and, uh, and we truly thought we had it under control. She was home with us, like I said, working, volunteering at Catholic charities. And the, even the night before, um, that her passing, she was on her computer registering for the next semester, going back to the university of Michigan and registering for courses. So Depression's a funny thing. It, 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 there are certainly degrees of it, and there are people who suffer from depression, have good days, and some days they've got rotten days. And mm-hmm. when they have rotten days is when we really got to grab them, love them, talk to them, and, and be there for them. Yeah, so. I totally agree. Yeah. I totally agree. Um, we've heard um, through, you know, being a psychiatrist, I've heard about the Hope Squad. And um, so can you guys explain what the Hope Squad is? Sure. That's one of the programs that we support. It is a peer-to-peer based suicide prevention program for kids in schools starting at the elementary level. And the Hope Squad is made up of kids who are chosen by their peers, not their teachers, but their peers as someone that that student would feel comfortable sharing information with. Research shows that seven out of 10 kids will talk to their friends about what's happening in their life before they'll talk to an adult. So the Hope Squad is based on that premise that kids who are struggling with their mental health would be more comfortable talking to someone that they trust who is a peer of theirs than an adult. So the Hope Squad kids... um, keep their eyes and ears open for the counselors in the school. And if they find someone that they believe is struggling, they bring that information to an adult in the school, a counselor, Mm -hmm. someone who's been trained. Um, And then that child is referred. And I'm really proud to say that in 2021, uh, we had close to 700 kids that were referred for help because of the hope squads wow. that we've got out in in Tarrant and uh, surrounding counties. So we currently have 78 hope squad schools mm-hmm. in 11 district school districts. 11 different school districts and growing. So I think it's just incredible to like meet kids where they are and to to use the research to to drive. Hey, they talk to each other but we can't entrust a nine-year-old like, to deal with that. So how are you going to do it? How are you going to support them? It's just, it's genius. And it also tends to change the culture in the school too, mm. because the, the, the curriculum in elementary school is not about suicide prevention. It's about um, kindness and inclusivity mm-hmm. and anti-bullying mm-hmm. and watching out for your neighbors. So this is what these kids are sharing with the rest of the school through 
hope days they have or hope weeks that they have where they have different events each day during the course of the week and uh, and ask kids to one one uh, one school had a shred shred your problem day and they had a shredder out in the hall and everybody could write down what they were dealing with their anxiety or whatever it was for that day and then somebody shred would shred it. the paper for yeah. them yeah. so um it, as as the program expands over a period of time then the culture changes a little bit in the school too maybe the kids are a little kinder or maybe they're looking out for that child that's sitting on the bench by himself eating alone kind mm -hmm. of thing mm -hmm. Um, yeah, so we're really proud of that program. It's amazing. I'd love to take credit for it. We did not develop it. <laughs> it was developed by, uh, by an associate superintendent, I believe in Utah who, um, had to, was called because I think at the time he had been, um, a principal of a middle school and he had called been called to identify one of his students who had taken their life and he was out in the park across the street from, from the school. And, um, he had had several losses that year and he said, I just, I can't, I can't do this anymore. We've got to figure out something, something. And he developed this program. And, um, so we found it and we called him and said, we'd love to try to, to bring this to some of the schools here in the Fort Worth area. He's out in Utah. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. Yeah. And that's that was how that started. What message um, do you have for people who are out there and who know someone who has lost a child to suicide? Um, I know a couple of people um, who have lost children. What do you say to them and how can people like me better support those families? I think the message really is uh, letting them know that it, it's okay for them to talk to you about it. I encourage people all the time to, if, if they want to talk to us about our loss, I'm happy to do that any time of day. Not everybody's like that. Yeah. And, you know, it's, you know, if you ask somebody that you've known that's lost somebody that's close to them, they'll let you know pretty quick whether they want to talk about it or not. Mm -hmm. But the fact that you care enough to ask, I think, is the important thing. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I, I'd say don't be bashful about bringing it up. Do it the appropriate way, obviously, at a quiet time. But, um, you know, it's a, it's a tough topic. There's no question about it. It's not one of those topics you're going to talk about at a cocktail hour, right? So, <laughs> but uh, we, we, we really need to. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think, you know, we've, we've been blessed to have a great circle of friends, and, and both of us have great families that have supported us um, along the way from day one. And uh, it's... Uh, we're getting better. Mm -hmm. The world has changed since you and I were yeah. a kid. Yeah, yeah. When it, it was uh, bite your lip and get tough and get over it kind of attitude. That's exactly that right. <laughs> and that needs to go away. Yeah. There's still a little bit of a bit of it out there. Uh, probably a much us macho guys, mm -hmm. but uh, we we've really got to get over that and understand that there are people that are hurting, and when they're hurting, we got to take care yeah. of them. Mm -hmm. So it is difficult though because you you don't know what to say. Yeah. And you don't want to say the wrong you won't. thing. Very awkward. You won't say the wrong thing. No, nobody wants wants their child to be forgotten. That's I think true. you'd be surprised at how many people would really love to share a little bit with you about what their child was like, or you know what that what what that child meant to them. Mm -hmm. um, uh, 
that's my that's my opinion about yeah. that. And I, we're so good at bringing flowers, you know, when it happens, and here's a casserole, and mm-hmm. and somebody will say, well, you know, they're in a much better place, or God's will, and 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 sometimes that can grade. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Um, we have a, a a physician at at Cook Children's, Dr. Jamie Kaufman, who is. I don't think she would mind me saying, and we probably will end up having her sometime. She's on. She's scheduled. (laughs) Um, And who had a son who uh, passed away from suicide. And she gave us at the hospital a talk, a TED talk about what to do. And basically coming into the room and just sitting close. Yep. Mm -hmm. I mean, it just basically, I, I don't know how you feel, but I'm sitting here right with you. Yeah. Yeah. And Tom here's the actually, casserole. Tom did. Tom actually did the same thing in his office. Yeah. You know, he went back to work. I don't know what was it, a week or so after Jordan died, and he walked into the office and he just told everybody that, you know, well, you can share that. Well, this the mes- is- the message was, um, it was terrible. It was a tragedy. I'm okay sometimes, not others. Anybody who wants to talk about it, come see me. Mm-hmm. Just don't treat me any differently than yeah. you did before Jordan died. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't don't feel like you're walking in eggshells around. Just just be cool. Yeah. So. Just give us strength yeah. uh, to yeah. be able to to support. Um, but that was very helpful what she had told us about. Yeah. You know. Absolutely. So Tom and Ellen, thank you guys so much for everything that you do in our community and for starting conversations that are important to break down the stigma and then to support families who are going through the same thing and also to prevent it. Like you guys have such a robust um, foundation that is just really helpful um, in addressing suicide in our community. And I just can't, I I can't say thank you enough. Mm -hmm. Like our, our department's goal, like that's sort of my mission in life is to prevent suicide. And so like, it just, it, I can't even really yeah. put, I can't put it into words. Well, like, there's a reason that Jordan was a rock star because she has rock star parents. 100%. She really does. And so if you would like to learn more about the Jordan Elizabeth Harris Foundation and the Hope Squad, please visit jordanharrisfoundation.org. Tell me something. So I have to leave you with this. Okay, please. So in 2017, we rode across America on bicycles. Mm. As a result of one of a one of my crazy friends who came up with this idea, who Jordan actually worked for one summer. So we did that in 2017. We're going to do it again in 2019, except we're going from the mouth of the Mississippi. 2022, dear. What did I say? 2019. Okay, we're going backwards. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> yeah. It's pandemic time. It's yeah. fine. <laughs> Pre-pandemic. Blame it on pandemic. Yeah. I'll blame it on supply chain. How about that? There you okay. go. <laughs> it's just my age. <laughs> Uh, from the mouth of the Mississippi in Lake Itasca, Minnesota, on the Canadian border, following the Mississippi River down to New Orleans this wow. time. So, uh, just wanted to let everybody know about that. Uh, but why? Why? Yeah. Why are we doing I that? Was, that was my next question. <laughs> you ladies are way ahead of me. Uh, to raise awareness, okay. To share our story, mm-hmm. to hear other stories. We have this note, this this little concept that's part of the ride that is called the Ride Four. So from day one for nine weeks when we ran it, when we rode across the country in 2017, we started our day before the ride with a ride four. Mm-hmm. Through social media, we asked people to let us know about their story. And every day, we, we had more stories than we could read. Yeah. 
So we intend to do the same thing again. We hope to meet with colleges, universities, similar organizations to ours along the way and be able to, to speak with them. Um, we hope to raise some more uh, funds for the foundation and spread awareness. Okay. That is amazing. And that's in 2024. No, that's October, in October. October. October of 2022. Um that's that's the schedule. Okay. So more information on our website, and uh, there actually is a website called 2022 Light the Trail. No, lightthetrailride.org. Thank you. Okay. We got it. I, knew, the I knew there was a reason you were here. <laughs> <laughs> and if I may, sure. I have one Please. more thing, Please. and that is there. there is um, an organization called the LOSS Team. They are part of MHMR of Tarrant County. LOSS stands for Local Outreach to Suicide Survivors. So this is a group, if you know of someone who has lost a child, lost anyone to suicide, not just a child, but anyone to suicide, that's the group that you uh, you could refer them to, Local Outreach to Suicide Survivors. And, and they will go out, regardless of when it's happened, they will go out and visit with the family should they want, if not, if and they're just looking for resources, some kind of support group or mm-hmm. whatever it is, um, they would be the people to get in touch with. That's after, after a loss. Okay. That's really helpful to know. That is really helpful. Um, to our raising joy, uh, sorry, to our raising joy, to our raising joy listeners, <laughs> we appreciate all your support with our podcast and you can help us keep these conversations going by rating, reviewing and subscribing to whatever platform you're listening on. Until next time, have, have a, a joyful, joyful day. day.